I've uh, been watching a lot of basketball recently, March Madness, paying a lot more attention to the women's tournament uh, as my team, our family team, the Iowa Hawkeye women are uh, just killing it and in the championship this afternoon, so go Hawkeyes. Anne actually had to remind me that there were still men's games being played last night. I was like, oh really, is there a men's tournament too? Wow, okay, great, maybe I should, maybe I should watch that. If you've ever been to a college basketball game, you know how incredibly loud it gets in the stadium. Maybe uh, approximating an Atlanta United soccer game, but uh, both of those can be pretty loud. But you've never witnessed a loud sporting event until you've been to a high school or college swim meet. Those tend to happen in a more contained, you know, concrete environment. There are coaches whistling and yelling at their swimmers. The, the swimmers themselves are screaming as loud as the crowd. And instead of a field or a court, you've got this body of water that, that amplifies the sound all over the auditorium. And it's just kind of a crazy scene, the perfect storm for accelerated hearing loss if, uh, if you go to a swim meet. Now, swim meets in the Northeast are especially loud relative to the ones we've participated in here in the South. When we moved here from Connecticut and went to our daughter's first swim meet in the natatorium at Georgia Tech, which is one of the best pools in the world, we were shocked at how quiet it was. We were like, oh my goodness, these Southerners, these Southern swim fans, they're, they're just so polite and reserved. Just, yay, Timmy, go Timmy. You know, we're just like, where, where are we? What happened to all the noise? But, but actually, that's fine with me because I'm not a big fan of extreme volume. And the more advanced in life I get, the more true that is. Just like the saying, if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> the church I served in Michigan uh, some years ago when I was not old um, was situated on a park. And around the park, there were five churches, including the one that I served. And one of those other four churches had been abandoned, and a new church, a new church start, had moved into this uh, previously abandoned church. And it was more of the mega church style of worship. You know, worship had more of the concert feeling with a, with a talk in the middle, which is fine by me, by the way. I'm, I don't always go with the theology that tends to accompany that, but as a worship style, you know, that's great. And in the summer, this church that had come into this old church building decided they would have worship outside right in the park and they decided to you know bless the entire city <laughs> beginning with the churches and the worshipers who were trying to have worship in their churches around the park with their really uh their their high volume worship style it was you know a little obnoxious so the next day i took it upon myself to go visit the pastor of this new church and I, and I knew him because we, we had a rapport. Both our kids went to the same elementary school. So, you know, I went and I said, hey, Rob, you know, really glad that you guys are here and making good use out of that building and giving it some love and care and filling it with worship and love the fact that you guys are worshiping outside. But maybe in the future, you could just, you know, give the other churches a heads up that you're going to be outside or maybe at a different time or 
maybe even a different day, or at least just maybe not so loud. And Rob said, Pastor Rob said to me, hey, definitely take that under consideration. Thank you very much. But you know, if the Bible tells us anything about what God likes in worship, it's that God likes worship loud. And I was like, okay, good talk. Thank you. And you know, he was not wrong. Loud instruments are often featured in worship in the Bible. The, the gospel reading we just heard, some Pharisees bring a complaint that was pretty much the same complaint that I brought to Pastor Rob. Pharisees say essentially, hey, Pastor Jesus, uh, y'all are being a little too loud. Would you mind telling your disciples to just kind of tone it down and, and dial it back. And Jesus gives that famous poetic response. He says, if my disciples were silent, then the stones would have to shout out for them. Stones. Stones are not known for being boisterous and noisy objects. They excel in stillness and solitude, laying low, fading into the landscape, not making a ruckus. Although probably banging two stones together was the very first uh, musical <laughs> instrument ever created. But the real question is not, hey, when will we hear stones start talking? That would be interesting. The question we should be asking ourselves is, why are the Pharisees telling Jesus and his disciples to hush? Were they just old and cranky, like apparently I'm becoming, or, or was something else going on? Well, I think these Pharisees get kind of a bad rap in this scene. I think they were genuinely concerned about public safety. Jesus riding into Jerusalem is kind of a spectacle as this liberating yet peaceful king during Passover, during this time when thousands and thousands of Jews were packed into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which remembers them being liberated out from under an oppressive dictator in Egypt thousands of years before. And now here they are in Jerusalem celebrating this liberating moment when they're also under the thumb of a new empire under Rome. And they're, they're celebrating this liberating figure, even though he's marching very peacefully into Jerusalem. Jesus, this could be misconstrued. We know the Romans are anxious to put down any sign or inkling of rebellion. This could be bad and dangerous for all of us. It was the voice of caution. It was the voice of maturity. It was the voice of reason. And Jesus was having none of it. The people had to make noise. They had to celebrate. They had lived long enough under the Romans and under the temple system and in poverty. And here was a man who heard them and understood them and healed them and fed them in body and in soul. How could they possibly not celebrate that? How could they keep quiet? What's that thing 
in your life that you just can't keep quiet about? That thing, that issue, that topic, that experience, that when you start talking about it, you find your heart starting to beat a little faster. You find the volume of your voice rising to a new level. What is that place of purpose and passion and joy and excitement and enthusiasm in your life? And collectively, as a church, what do we need to get loud about? Yes, there, there's all the injustices and the falsehoods, the hypocrisy, the violence, the threat of violence, racism and anti-Semitism, putting guns ahead of children's lives, all that stuff we want to scream about, and we should, but this passage is asking us to do something different. The disciples were not loudly protesting injustices. They were loudly praising God in the midst of injustices that were far worse in their day than they are in ours. This passage is asking us to get loud with joy, to get loud and proud about inclusion and love, to lean into the transforming power of our faith and of the gospel. I once heard Desmond Tutu speak. It was one of the great joys and honors of my life, the late Bishop Desmond Tutu. He spoke just down the road at Emory. It was in the mid-90s, and he told a story that I've never forgotten. He told the story of a peaceful march that had happened just a few years prior to that time, organized to protest the government's decision to crack down and ban anti-apartheid organizations. And the police had been sent to stop this peaceful march and, and in the past had, been, had used force to disperse protesters. So Bishop Tutu and other leaders were standing there in the front of the crowd as the police were advancing. And Desmond Tutu knew that violence was about to happen, that stuff was about to go down. And so he realized quickly he needed to do something to change the situation. So he said, I know what we'll do. We will serve Eucharist. Let's see them stop the Eucharist. And so he went through the whole Eucharist celebration and then offered Eucharist first to those advancing police officers, which completely dispelled and disarmed the situation, a very tense situation. And the policemen were visibly moved. Many of them wept as they received the Eucharist in that moment. Some reported later that that moment had been a turning point leading them to re-examine their lives and their role in the evil of apartheid. We might examine ourselves in the light of this out loud love that comes in communion every Sunday and especially this week. We might examine why we maybe often prefer to keep quiet, to hold back, to lay low, rather than to shout with joy and lead with love as we face the brutalities of our day how we might maybe prefer to leave it to the stones to shout out for us. Next week, 
a stone will cry out after humanity has lost its voice. That stone, a tombstone, will speak volumes simply by being rolled away. But we're not there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Today, we have some harder work to do. We must face in ourselves and interrogate why our loud hosannas will quickly shift to loud cries to crucify. We must face the failures of humanity, including in ourselves, to live love out loud. Amen. Ashe. Namaste.